last time, uh, you guys were attacked by Zabos's SS team, and you handed their asses to them. Yep. <laughs> then you uh, roped up the uh, Tiefling Ranger, and after asking who sent them, a swirling arrow symbol burned into her heart, killing her before she could answer. That's uh, the other thing I regret, by the way. You regret asking her that? <laughs> yeah, I basically murdered her. Yeah. More or less. I know it was my fault, but it was still, you know. But uh, that seemed to be a, a bit of a fail-safe, I suppose. Uh, but after speaking with Jewel, Bronzon, and Ragnir, you decided to split off and take on Zabos. Jewel decided to stay behind to keep the egg calm, and Bronzon and Ragnir got the innocent miners out and collapsed the mines. Uh, as far as you know, I suppose. We never did actually check to see if any innocents got killed. But I guess it... That's a war that happens. It's a war. It happens. Upon returning to the Zabos estate, you came upon Kantan standing above a dead Zabos, claiming to have killed him to give the miners better working conditions so that they could continue to mine happily. Upon hearing the explosions of the mines collapsing, Kantan changed. He dropped his nasally voice and transformed before your eyes. He spoke to you briefly before being interrupted by the dwarves, and before being able to respond to Kantan, he vanished, and you convinced Bronzon uh, to head the church and uh, Ragnir to lead the state. Uh, and after taking a king's reward in tropium in a cart... Past the eyeline of the dwarves, you radioed into Sparks and got returned to the Institute, which is where we're going to begin today, and I would love for you all to roll me a con check before we get started. On it. Okay. Ha! Uh, 14. Not great. 13. Wait, is it a check or a save? It's a, it's a check. Okay, yep, 13. Uh, so, uh... <laughs> Eight. So, as your bodies begin to reassemble themselves, you find yourself back in the transportation room. Uh, T, you vomit. Uh. As you're still not entirely used to the whole dematerialization stuff. Bakar and, uh, Oren, though, you feel a little dizzy, but not ill... Your experience has steadied you against the side effects of the dematerialization. You are back now on the Institute. Your first mission appears to be a success. Congratulations. Yay! Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> uh, so, you hear excited chirping and hooting as the door whooshes open. And Sparks is happily dancing atop her control panel. Sparks says, Oh boy, I'm so happy you all made it! You really did it! Congratulations! How did it go? Pretty well, actually. I mean... All things considered, I think it went better than I expected, frankly. Yeah. I mean, we didn't destroy the whole planet, so that's a good thing. Kind of... Kind of blundered from place to place, but beyond that, you did accomplish it. So, yeah, it was first time. Payment. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Only like I that. was waiting. I was waiting for this. 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, as you uh, ask Sparks, of all people, you know, the engineering department leader. <laughs> Who do I talk to He's got a for point. payment? Bakar, we'll have to go talk to the payroll department. That's how this works. <laughs> Who do I talk to? And where are they located? See, be patient, my friend. It's all right. You get paid. I'll make sure you get okay. paid. Don't worry. Uh, but as as you ask that of Sparks, of all people, uh, you hear another whooshing noise as the door to the engineering department opens and Spider comes sprinting through, huffing and panting. She runs past you four and stares in awe at the amount of tropium you've returned. <laughs> My friend. It's nice to see you too, Spider. <laughs> Staring at the pile, she says, Holy shit! She turns to you three, her eyes tearing up slightly. <laughs> her eyes... Uh, she says, oh, This is incredible! You are amazing! She rushes back into the transport room and starts picking at the pile of tropium and inspecting it with her goggles and magnifying glasses. Her spider limbs are pickaxing away bits and pieces of the statue. You can just barely hear her muttering to herself as she scours everything. She says, yes, yes, I can definitely use this. Oh, and this. Ooh, and this. Yeah. Spider, don't eat all that in one place. <laughs> Make sure you save some for later. <laughs> uh, she holds up a particularly jagged hunk of tropium with both her human hands. Or make it and she the says, thing. Oh, the things me. mama's gonna make with you. Just just <laughs> calm down for a second. And take a deep breath. And stop drooling. <laughs> uh, you, you brought her a shit ton of tropium, so uh, she's very excited. Do, do this in private, okay? <laughs> The correct measurement unit for that. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 the uh, correct measurement. Uh, as Spider is going through uh, the tropium you retrieved, uh, what would you like to do? Um. Well, we should probably do a report back to whoever we need to. Ha to Hawthorne, I believe we should speak with him. Yeah. Right? Let's go towards him. You you want to speak to Hawthorne? Uh. So Sparks uh, puffs up her chest a little bit and uh, flutters around. She says, oh, yes, I suppose he'll want to see you to debrief you on your first mission. However, he's currently off base on a mission of his own. Huh. I'm not sure when he'll return. Uh, she hits a few buttons on her console and shakes her head. She says, no, no, I'm, I'm afraid his mission is classified even above my station. There are plenty of things to do the past the time, though, if you are interested. Right. Can we okay. just, like, write it down then so we don't have to worry about this for later? Well, what, what, what things can we do? Well, there's plenty of shops, and I feel like we've done this already. We have. <laughs> tea, it's okay. We'll go find you don't tea. We'll say. find something to do. It's all right. Don't worry about it. Um, as you uh, are speaking with Sparks, Spider steps out of the transport room with her own bag of holding and a couple of chunks of tropium tucked under her arm. 
Seeing that you're all still there, she smiles. Uh, she had completely forgotten that others existed for a moment. She says, uh, oh, well, well, hello there. Uh, she huffs the bag of holding over her shoulders. She says, this is magnificent. I can really make some stellar items with this material. Thank you. She begins to walk out of the engineering department and stops in the entryway, turning her head to you all. Oh, don't think I forgot about our little agreement. I'll work on some things for you as well. Good. Toodles! She steps through the doorway and it closes with a click. Well, it's nice that she didn't forget that. I was afraid of I was going to mention it. I mean, like... Yeah, yes, me as I well. I do wish she told us what she was going to do so we could, like, shop around it. But, like, whatever. Well, she's going to do what she wants to do. I'm pretty sure anything Spider makes for you, you're not going to be able to find in a shop. Yeah. But... Probably, yeah. So, I mean, how many electric boogaloo bows have you found? Well, I've, I've only checked one store so far. <laughs> so, while you guys are here, you guys are free to do whatever it is you want uh, in the time in which you are waiting for Hawthorne to return. Uh, at this point, everything is, I guess, safe would be the word. So splitting the party isn't a a terrible decision when it comes to being on base, uh, because you've got several places you can go. I know uh, you guys argue with each other consistently, and maybe you want some time, like to yourselves. So uh, if there's anything in particular that any of you want to do separately or together, uh being that Hawthorne is off base, uh, that's the only place right now that you can't go because his office is locked when he's away. How am I supposed to live if I can't argue? <laughs> <laughs> what a uh, world! Well, I mean, if you prefer to just sit around each other and argue, <laughs> that's also fine. But uh, I'm saying that Whereas when you're on uh, a mission or something, you probably don't want to split the party up because that's usually a bad idea. True. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's true. Yeah. As you guys are all contemplating what your next move is going to be, you hear a crash coming from outside the doors of the engineering department. Oh. What well, will you do? Check it out, I guess, but cautiously. Investigate. I mean, if you want to roll me an investigation, by all means. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly. Let's do some snooping. But first, let's split up. No. <laughs> Cover more ground that way. <laughs> <laughs> T, you take Scooby, I mean Ice, with you. Zoinks! <laughs> Monsters! <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, uh, <laughs> let's go. Let, let's yeah, go look at the, the, yeah. the sound first. Then we can. As you uh, leave through the doors of the engineering department, you find papers scattered about, some still airborne. As your eyes behold a large turtle on its shell struggling to right themselves, 
the uh, the turtle struggling on its back. Oh, Atar, damn it. He rocks back and forth on his shell, struggling to no avail. Uh, what would you do? Help him. What do you do? I guess help him up, not be on his back. I've been there before. <laughs> You've been stuck on your back, not being able to get up? Yep. Oh, I don't even want to know. <laughs> well, what are you going to do? I'm too short. There's no way I can help push him over. I'm out. We'll work. We'll work together and help this gentleman up. Okay, let's go. All right. So uh, as you go to uh, help him up, he doesn't. He hadn't noticed you prior, and you startle him. He uh, withdraws into his shell, and it starts rotating slowly, just like shuddering a bit because he quickly shot into his shell. Oh my god, get back. He's getting like Gamera and shoot like oh fire god. out of his legs. I'm just gonna <laughs> I'm just gonna keep going. <laughs> That's fucking great. A voice echoes from inside the shell. Who is who is out there? Bakar. Identify yourself, preferably with at least Two forms of approved ID. Bakar and Bakar. <laughs> Orenthil is here to help you. We don't, we don't really have forms of ID that you might find acceptable. Sorry. A head uh, slowly emerges from the top of the shell, followed by his arms and legs. After uh, looking you down and up, because he is still technically on his back. He says, oh, hello there. I'm Calvin. I don't believe we have met, but I know all about you. I was actually looking for you when I tripped and fell. I shouldn't have been going so quickly. Perhaps we should put restrictions on safe travel speeds in hallways. Calvin uh, pulls out a notepad and starts jotting down notes while still on his back, presumably about these speed regulations. <laughs> oh, bro, you dude, slow down. You're going a mile a minute. Man, I can't take it. <laughs> Too fast for me. He says, oh, oh, yes. Uh, could you assist me to my feet? I'm afraid I'm a bit stuck. The... Shell is so round. My good chum. Put <laughs> okay. him up on his back, on his feet. <laughs> I'll help him this time. <laughs> All right. So uh, as you uh, help him up, he says, "Thank you. Uh, I was searching for you to give you notification that you have been assigned new lodgings. You have been upgraded to the rectifier's quarters." From the temporary room you were first placed in. Oh. Hopefully you will find them to be more comfortable with a bit more privacy for each of you. I placed you all near each other. I hope the room allocations are to your liking. You, you didn't have to put them that close. Shall we? He hands you each an envelope with a key inside of it, and uh, he says... I must be off. With Hawthorne gone, I'm running this place even more than usual. 
Not that anyone takes notice. I suppose that means I do my job well. I keep the order, and nobody notices until something goes wrong. And nothing goes wrong, so nobody notices. That's good. If you need some help... Well, my friend, I'm... I'm sorry to say that that's sort of just how it works. I, I have pity for you, though. Calvin then chuckles a bit and turns around, still mumbling about how his, how little his work is noticed, and uh, waddles back down the hallway. He was a little <laughs> snippy. You guys now have uh, new lodgings. If uh, you have any interest in uh, checking those out quick. You have keys as well, I suppose. Yeah, let's go check those out. Well, All right. then, then we can split you up. You're going to give us an episode of MTV Cribs? Rectifiers Edition? It's uh, D&D Cribs. Check out my crib. Rectifier Edition, yeah. <laughs> now, better better question. Is the cable or satellite? Oh, you, you pay for water and heat. Oh. Yeah. We pay for it? Yeah. Unfortunately, it's not included That's not in the rent. Fair. Unfortunately, not. No. Yeah. I guess we didn't have to put down a deposit, unless you consider the mission that. Technically, it would have been uh, yeah. uh, our world being destroyed. No, that was not their fault. None of their business. No, we had to put down the deposit by working. No, but the, it was a criteria. It was necessary for us to even be here. Oh well, I'll I'll consider. I will accept that. Yes. If you guys wish to go to your rooms, uh, you guys will end up going up the elevator. Uh, you'll hit the same um, button that Rouge took you up to before. As the elevator climbs in uh, altitude uh, and stops on the residential level, uh, you guys look at your uh, envelopes. They each have a number on them as well. Uh, the keys as well inside also have numbers. And as you go down the hallway, you pass Rouge's old... Rouge's room. Excuse me. Not old room. She hasn't changed. Just down the hallway, instead of going all the way down the way you did before, uh, you each have the corresponding rooms in your alphabetical order. Bakar's room is uh, 372. Oren's is 373, and T's is 374. And Ice is 375. Technically, he's oh, of course. he 374 is 374 and a half. Each of us must have our own lodgings. Whoa. He is unrecognized for his great efforts once again. <laughs> we will. He is a fourth huh? team member of our party. T, my friend, we will have to take this up with management. Absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, as you... my, my, my other friend, I apologize for this <laughs> oversight. We will just knock down that wall and call it. Luckily, it's not my wall. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. So, uh, as you guys enter each of your rooms separately here, they pretty much look the same as each other's rooms. They're, think, studio apartment. You've got uh, an entryway. You've got exposed brick. Uh, yes, very, very much. Just all Open exposed concept. brick. You've got uh, a disco ball hanging above your uh, 
your uh, living quarters for some reason. We're not oh, sure God. why. There's some hockey sticks, even though none of you play hockey. There's a wet bar in the corner. Oh, yeah. Uh, fully, fully stocked, but it's only got... Sh- There's nothing but schnapps in the bar. Yeah, nothing. Oh, this is a nightmare. There is nothing but boysenberry schnapps at the bar. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, but you walk in, and uh, you've got your entryway, and you've got a little kitchenette area with a with a cooling box and a range for cooking. And a little further in, you've got a bit of a living quarters, and there's two doors to each uh, at in uh, each of your rooms. One re- one leads to your bedroom, and the other to a small toilet area. And uh, the loo, the loo, yes, thank you. Uh, <laughs> the water closet, the water closet, the loo. The the main difference between your three, uh, your three uh, studio apartments essentially in T's studio apartment, there is a small kind of bunk on top of his his bed in his bedroom for ice in Bakar's bedroom area it's a slightly bigger uh bed because bakar is a little bigger than you all and i manspread and in uh yeah it's a man's bed i guess no i manspread oh you manspread <laughs> okay got got a manspread probably got a manspread man's bed for a manly man and in oren's room it's your standard bedroom but on the wall there's a painting a, a a sticker of sorts with a brilliant moon drawing. <laughs> they brought it from the uh, the other uh, quarters for you, so you have yeah. you have a bit of fancy uh, accoutrement. It's always nice to have one's artistic uh, <laughs> expression <laughs> vindicated. The uh the other separate uh, difference in uh Bakar's room, uh they took your uh owl pelt, your owl bear pelt, and it is now on the uh floor in front of your fireplace. Oh, I'm totally gonna just sit in front of it and uh <laughs> spread out. <laughs> At this point, uh you've all got separate things, uh separate living arrangements. You're all close enough together that uh should you need each other, you can and uh, do so. T, you still have the uh, the bag of gems for Vern. Correct. So you've got something you can do. Otherwise, uh, if you, Picar and Oren feel like you want to explore, you're more than welcome to. But uh, at this point, I think we might split off a little bit. Uh, and we'll take... Uh, unless you guys have any other ideas of what you would like to do well first i could do with you know a bit of cleansing he needs, shower he needs the spa hair, day like spa day yep. there we go i'll go sell the gyms Hey everyone, it's Taylor, your DM and lore master. We do not have a sponsor this episode, 
what we do have is a good friend of ours who has been going through some medical issues. Uh, our friend Roy C. Booth, a prolific author, a GoFundMe has been set up and we were hoping to ask our listeners if there's any help you can muster, whether that be by donating or sharing their GoFundMe, as Roy is a independent author, he doesn't exactly get health benefits, so anything that you can help would be amazing. He is a fantastic individual, and we just want to make sure that him and his family can get through this all all right. So thank you. We will set up links uh, on our Facebook and Twitter for you to find and share if need be. So thank you. In some less sad news, we did give away our glow-in-the-dark dice set that we were giving away with our closure of Chapter 2 and our achieving 300 followers on Twitter. Those are going out to your DM dad. Uh, it's uh, at Captain Baker, CPT Baker on Twitter. Uh, he will be receiving our glow-in-the-dark dice set, which we used for the first two chapters of the Tantalus Tales. I hope they serve him well, as they served us here at the Tantalus Tales. I think we'll probably end up doing that again, because I like the idea of you all having an opportunity to have a piece of Tantalus Tales in your own home. But without further ado, I'm going to drop you back into the start of our Chapter 3 arc. Enjoy. I'll see you at the end. Okay. Well, uh, as uh, Bakar and uh, Oren clean up, T and uh, Ice make their way down to uh, Vern's shop, passing all the uh, people running around in the... Uh... God, what did we call that place? Atrium? Court area. The... the fight pit? The lawn area. Yeah. You pass by everybody out in the uh, the open... Uh, the open field area, people playing, laughing, all that fun stuff. But as you uh, enter... I remember when my planet did that. Hmm? said, I remember when my planet did that. <laughs> when your planet used to laugh? <laughs> <laughs> so as you enter Vern's shop, uh, T, you find that it's empty. No doubt because Vern is off at another location of his, as he usually is. Your eyes... Uh, pan the shop in more detail now that you have a chance. You see the bell lying atop the counter where it was the last time you were here. Uh, behind the counter, there are trinkets and necklaces. There's a thick glass case that's locked behind the uh, counter, and inside it, there's a conch sitting on a purple silk pillow with a sign in front proclaiming, No touchy. You should touch it. You're not here. I kind of want to touch it. You should touch it. This is your conscious thinking. <laughs> you you guys have no idea what's happening. I'm I'm not yeah, there. I'm just saying. I'm not there. If something says don't touch, you should. 
the magic conch. The magic conch, yeah. Uh, it says no touchy. Uh, you giggle slightly, recalling your first meeting with Vern. Then you look around and walk toward the robe section and pass your fingers through the cloth and then you decide to pick up a robe and you hold it against yourself and look in the mirror. The robe is clearly meant for somebody much taller than yourself as the cloth drapes in a pile on the ground at your feet and you decide to return it and walk to another counter. This counter is filled with daggers and other sharp objects. Amongst the objects is an ornate onyx dagger, whose blade is held by two interwoven tentacles. As you scan the wall behind the counter, your eyes fall upon a bundle of fragrant leaves. Something in it smells familiar. You close your eyes to take a deeper whiff, and when you open them, you're no longer in Vern's... Blaze it. Hmm? Blaze it. And you blaze it, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you close your eyes and you blaze it. You just, mm, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> Vern shows up with a giant bong. You just get down to it. You just blaze it. <laughs> Yo, hit this, bro. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're blazed. Uh, you close your eyes to take a deeper whiff, and when you open them, you're no longer in Vern's shop. You're in a stone room on a bed. There's a knock on your door, and in walks a priestly-looking man holding a tray with hot cinnamon loaf and strips of still-sizzling bacon. The priest uh, starts walking towards you, and he says, Oh, have you seen the signs, my son? The great eclipse! It is truly a sign of the Great One. Today is the day. He sets the tray down on the bed, and cuts a slice for you. A look of urgency crosses his face. Uh, I must be off to prepare. I will send for the others to assist you. Today is the day. The priest hurries from your quarters, and as you look around the room, things begin to fade. The candles light. The sun begins to set. You look down, and you realize you're in fine cotton robes now that you weren't in earlier. They smell, uh, they still smell from the sacrifice made earlier. Before you can get a hang of your thoughts, though, the, the doors burst open again and the priest rushes, rushes back in and practically yanks you from the bed, ushering you down to the inner sanctum of the temple, not stopping until you reach the curtains behind the altar. As the priest pushes the curtains aside, you hear the clapping of all the acolytes' hands, hitting the ground as they kneel in prayer. As you pass through the curtain, you see it. Next to the podium is ice. A small familiar, but that, that's not an issue, because you're small too. As your eyes lock each other, you feel an instant connection. Emotions flood your mind. Joy you've never experienced before. A cocoon of love and trust? You see the stained glass ceiling and familiar tentacles built into the glass. New feelings, though, start to overtake you. Death, darkness, pain, and suffering stab into your mind and body like 10,000 needles of knowledge. Ice collapses and you feel an incredible amount of power surging through your body. The prayers begin to sound strange, though. 
as groans begin to start from the back of the acolytes and rise through their ranks. You notice the furthest one you can see has begun to change. They've all began to change. Acolytes near the front begin to break off their chanting as they realize something is drastically wrong. They begin to rush the raised stage for which you stand, panic-stricken. You see them, too, begin to change. Their features are melting and expanding, grisly images of what they used to be. They reach up toward you, and you hear a guttural... From these abominations, you stumble back into a figure, and you turn to see the priest. His face is contorted, and he groans in pain and anguish, reaching for you as you're startled back to reality by Vern. What's the matter, my boy? (sighs) Just had a flashback to the day that I met T. I mean, ice. Oh? It was a fond memory. Fond? What? <laughs> it was a beautiful the start day. of our adventure. I've never seen that many people melt before. <laughs> <laughs> it was glorious. <laughs> a shining moment. To this day, I don't know if I'm the one that killed them or not, but I... <laughs> the look on your face doesn't portray happiness to me. Oh, but it does. Well, all right. What can I do for you, my boy? Um, so I can't help but notice the thing in the glass case. There are so many things in glass glass cases, (laughs) my boy. You're going to have to be a little more specific. But how many say, do not touch? (laughs) A lot of them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, first, how much can I get? for these gems his eyes glow wide and he he said he proclaims oh right i forgot you found these and he uh looks through it he grabs the bag and pours out the gems onto his hand and he uh picks one up and points it at the uh at the candlelight in his in his uh shop and stares through it says yes these these are brilliant. He uh, pours them back into the bag and he says, What would you like for them? Everything. What? <laughs> what are you talking about, bro? Come on. Uh, he laughs uproariously and says, Everything. Oh, my boy. These are definitely not good enough for everything in my shop. Well, why don't you give me a ballpark of what it is good enough for? <laughs> so I tell you what, roll me a d20 quick. 13? So there are 13 uh, brilliant gems in this bag that you've given him. And uh, he thinks it over for a moment and says, I'll give you 500 gold per gem, which would... Equal out to be sixty-five hundred. You know, let's let's do six hundred. We have four people in our party. It breaks it out pe- perfectly even. Uh, one thousand nine hundred and fifty per person. Nice. 
It works. Granted, neither of you know he's doing yeah. this. I mean, technically, 500 is divisible by 4, but we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> Try to get more for it. This is why I don't bargain. I just get paid. <laughs> so do we have a deal? 600 apiece will be fine. He uh, holds out his hand and uh, a bag, a fairly large bag at this point, I suppose, with a cartoonish dollar sign on it, appears in his hand and he hands it to you. If you want to count it, by all means. Sure, let's do that. <laughs> Please don't. We'll take turns. One. Two. Oh, am I counting with you? <laughs> you must be kidding me, boy. <laughs> Well, as you uh, sit there and you count through all of this coin, we're going to move on to uh, Oren. Oren, what are you doing? Well, well, after I've completed, you know, sprucing up a bit, I thought I'd go to maybe a nearby restaurant. Like the, maybe it's called like the Spruce Lounge. I don't know. Right? The the Spruce Lounge? (laughs) Sure. I was making... I was making a joke about sprucing up. Sorry, I guess it didn't work. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> sprucing up. I see, I see, I see. I'll uh, head downstairs to the atrium okay. and uh, see what I can see, and then uh, head in the direction when I get there. Okay, well, uh, there is a restaurant with an outdoor patio out uh, out in the... Uh, I Are we calling it atrium? That sounds... That doesn't sound right to me. Uh, the plaza. Plaza? Sure, plaza works, yeah. Bazaar! That's what it was called. Thank you. Thank you, Connor. You make your way down to the bazaar and you find the outdoor restaurant and you're given a menu with several choices. You, uh, you pick out, I don't know, what, what, a, what else? Well, I'd prefer some, maybe, perhaps a, perhaps a fowl at the moment. You know, like a nice roasted you want pheasant. A bird? Per- yeah, why not? A nice. A nice roasted yeah. pheasant, by all means, yeah. So uh, you sit down, you order the pheasant, and you look around at all the happy people as the wind blows through your hair and hits your face. I strike a pose. <laughs> <laughs> and then burst into song, right? I am an elf. <laughs> I mean, if you really want no. to... Dinner and a show for everyone else. I can't hit that note. The hills are alive. (laughs) The hills are alive. (laughs) No, I don't. I don't. I just. As you uh, feel the wind on your face, you close your eyes to appreciate it a little bit, and as you open them, you smell the familiar sense of nature. The uh, loam of the earth. Yeah, uh, loam of the earth. That needles, sounds good. Pine like needles, the occasional deer dropping. <laughs> you find yourself no longer sitting on the chair in the patio, but you're laying down in the middle of a clearing. The sun is peeking out from the canopy. The leaves blowing in the breeze. You can feel the warmth of the sun on your face and the grass on your palm. There's several bird calls heard in the trees singing a, a cacophony of of tunes. You hear a rustling behind you as a fox steps out of the brush. It eyes you for a moment before growling at you and taking a defensive stance. 
After a moment, you can see why. In the shadows of the brush, there are two pairs of small golden eyes you can see through it. Her kits are huddled in fear and curiosity behind their mother. What do you do? <sighs> Little fox, I was here first. Go away. No, uh... Let me think about that for a second. Um, I'll just, uh, back away slowly. Move away from it. Don't want to really start a fight with the fox. The fox, uh, eyes you over as you're stepping away cautiously. And from behind you, you hear a twig snap. And the little fox family scurries away at the sound. You hear a soft curse as a young elf girl steps into the clearing carrying a brass inlaid quiver filled with arrows and an ornate bow over her shoulder. She says, I, 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 I'm, I'm sorry, big brother. I I tried to be quiet. Uh, Lasara stands at the edge of the clearing, a sad look on her face. What do you do? I, I uh, reassure her. It's all right. You didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> These things just happen. Fox just stumbled across it. I guess I just sit back down, beckon her over, and have her sit next to me. All right. Well, she comes and uh, she sits next to you. Uh, she says, "Big brother." Yes. You were supposed to teach me how to shoot today. Was I? <laughs> no, no, well, that's uh, the that's the only reason I brought my bow and my quiver all the way into the middle of this forest. Well, then let's not waste time, shall we? <laughs> Do you want to show her uh, by doing it yourself? Well, I don't feel like I, I did that, yeah. You launch your arrow at a just random tree in the middle of uh, of the uh, other side of the clearing. As you guide uh, Lacera to her mark with the bow, making sure her footing is right, her elbow bent correctly, she brings her uh, hand all the way back to her cheek with the, uh, the arrow knocked in the bow. And she looses her arrow towards her target. And as if in slow motion, you follow the arrow through the air as it lodges itself deep into the tree, mere centimeters from your own arrow. A warm feeling begins in your chest and spreads. You can feel your face tightening with a smile, pride swelling up as you turn to congratulate your sister. But where she stood moments before is empty. That warm feeling begins to grow cold, and panic sets in your in your eyes as you begin to search the clearing. There's no sign of her. Her bow, her quiver, they're all missing. A strange smell hits your nose, and you turn around to see smoke wafting into the clearing. As, as you stare, you hear a scream in the distance. Without realizing it, your feet have sent you running in the direction of the scream. A part of you recognizes that scream, you're sure, but you need to be certain. As you sprint through the trees, the smoke gets stronger and thicker as you begin to feel warm. It's a fire, no doubt about it. You break into a section of trees that are all burnt and scarred with flames. The fire rages ahead of you, and in the fire you can make out a silhouette. It's a young elf girl. She's crouched on the forest floor, terrified. You push closer, and you can see she's holding her arm. She's she's hurt. You try to shout out to her, but no sound leaves her throat. A wall of flames separates you from your sister. 
You try and push through, but the heat is far too intense. She looks up from her position, noticing you. She holds her good arm out to you, and you see her mouth the words, Where are you? Before you hear a thunderous crack as a large flaming branch breaks off from above her, and in slow motion you see her cover herself again. The branch is falling slowly. You rush into the flames, your clothes catching fire, the blaze licking at your flesh, but you feel no pain, just lingering dread as you reach your hand out to your sister before everything snaps back. You're jolted back to reality in a cold sweat, a pheasant on your table, your waitress looking very confused. Your heart is racing. Is is everything all right? Yes. Yes, uh, everything will be fine. Just, uh, just a bit of a memory, I guess. Uh, nothing to be concerned about. Thank you for your, uh, for your service today. I appreciate it. Oh, all right. Well, if you need anything, just holler. I will. Thank you very much. And, uh, she walks away as you begin to dig into your pheasant meal. We're going to move on to Bakar. What are you doing? Um, I guess I'll go to, like, a tavern or a bar, somewhere where local people go. Or a mercenary group goes. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Well, uh, as you walk out onto the lawn of the base, you see several children playing together, and you find yourself thinking of Mercy. When a memory of her rushes back to you, it was a bright, warm day, and like the children on base, Mercy was playing in a field of wildflowers at the edge of the mercenary camp. Being around a bunch of big, strong mercenaries, and with you protecting her, she shouldn't have much to worry about. But there was something. Since you adopted Mercy and pledged to protect her, she hadn't said a word to you or anyone else. While you have done your best to make her feel safe and welcome... There's something that has kept her from speaking. But on days like this, with mercy enjoying a lovely day, you have hope that it's just a matter of time before she opens up to you. Feeling completely at ease with mercy enjoying herself in the flowers, you turn back to help the rest of the mercenaries pack up and move the camp. Your work here is done, and you're about to travel to the next mission and the next payment. You smile as you go about your work, thinking about the progress Mercy has made since she was a small and terrified child that day you found her. The hours pass quickly as you pile your equipment and camp supplies, your mind wandering to the hopeful thoughts of Mercy. It's then that you notice that the sun has begun to set. You turn to face the wildflower field, the vibrant colors of the sun's last light dancing upon the flowers. You smile for just a moment before you realize that mercy is nowhere to be seen. You begin to panic. It's getting darker by the minute. You rush around the camp yelling out her name. A fellow mercenary grabs your arm as you rush past and tells you, I saw mercy at the edge of the trees just a moment ago. She was picking berries. You go out ahead to look for her. Should I gather a party to help search? No, no, it's fine. I'll find her. You take off in a sprint towards the trees, 
As you approach the dark forest, you hear a chilling sound. Wolves. They're howling. You begin to move even faster. You enter the woods as you rush through the trees. Branches whip at your face. Without thinking, you follow clues. A small shoe, a torn piece of yellow cloth, and then you see her cowering at the base of a tree in the center of a clearing as Mercy. You burst into the clearing and see why Mercy was so scared. Wolves. So many of them. You jump in between the wolves and Mercy and you draw your sword. You find yourself filled with a blinding rage. Without thought, you cut through the wolves. You know they're biting at your flesh, but you feel no pain over the rage. Without a sense of the time that has passed, you realize the wolves are gone. You're covered in blood, a mixture of your own and the wolves, sticky on your skin and clothes. You turn to see Mercy, and see there's still fear in her eyes. You drop your sword and wipe the blood from your face. You slowly kneel to her level. What do you say to her? See, nothing will ever hurt you again. Her small hands wrap around your large fingers. As she opens her mouth, in a small, quiet voice, she says, Thank you, Dad. (laughs) I'm not crying. (laughs) (laughs) You begin to sob. Not tears of sadness, but tears of joy. You pick Mercy up in your arms and you begin to walk back to camp. Smiling through the tears, again you're filled with hope and joy. As you emerge from the trees, you're surprised to hear Mercy's small voice again. Dad? I I don't feel so good. Are Are you okay? What can I do? You set her down on the ground and look at her. She wasn't injured at all during the fight. You made sure of that. Dad, help me, she says. You begin to notice a familiar sight. Her fingers are starting to fade, turning to small particles and floating away. God damn it. Just like you first saw on the final night of your, on your home world atop that tower. Don't leave. I'm here. It's okay. Don't leave. Why are you leaving? You grab her. You squeeze her close to your chest, but she slips from your fingers. Mercy's gone. No. Tears roll from your eyes as you realize you're no longer in the middle of the woods with Mercy, but you're sitting in front of a tavern. One of the tavern keepers steps out and says, What's the matter with you? I need a drink. So you enter the tavern and sit down to have a drink, and we cut to all three of you just sitting by yourselves. T has just left Vern's shop with a bag full of money. He looks oddly happy, (laughs) but still a little still a little uh, concern in his eyes. Oren is eating his pheasant, and there's a distant look on his face, and as the barkeep pours you a drink, Bakar, you wipe away uh, a tear, and you search for the bottom of the cup. 
and everything slowly fades out towards the uh, the fractured space as we cut to black. Well, uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that. No, I'm crying. <laughs> yeah. The chorus is sad all the time. Thank you so much for joining us for the 13th episode of our show, The Tantalus Tales. This is the start of the third chapter, and I'm excited, so excited to see where it goes for. Uh, we have some great stuff planned for it. Uh, I really want to thank... Uh, what's good for the use of their song intro, as well as uh, Inaya for her song Rose-Tinted Glasses of a Lucid Dream, which was the creepy-as-hell music played underneath all of their memories, flashback, dream sequences in this episode. It is absolutely creepy, and you should definitely check it out, and with headphones, honestly. Uh, it it's terrifying, and I love it. Also, if you uh, noticed, we introduced a new character this episode, Calvin the Tortle Bureaucrat, uh, named for one of our patrons, J.R. Calvin. Uh, <laughs> I look forward to hearing what he thinks of his character. <laughs> uh but, uh, oh, man, I am very excited that we're in Chapter 3. This is some good stuff. We're about to introduce some more new characters. If you are itching to get a character name for you, please share us, tweet us. We look towards our listeners and followers for character names before anything else, and... We just want to thank you all for joining us on this journey. And, oh God, I cannot wait for the next episode. Thank you so much, everybody. Uh, the next episode will be going up on the 14th of August, I believe, is next episode. 14th of August, yes. Uh, so keep an eye out. There were... So many jokes I had to cut from this episode that I may just put together a blooper reel of just the jokes from this episode, uh, trying to make it uh, as serious as it hopefully came across. <laughs> but uh, yeah, look forward to that in the coming week or so as well. But thank you so much. We will see you again on the 14th for sure. And thank you again to all of our patrons, all of the people who support us, whether that be following us on Twitter, on Facebook, talking to us, sending us emails, which you can do uh, if you noticed in the, if you got to listen to episode 12.5, there were a few 
listener submitted questions, which you can send us questions at any time. If we have enough, we will do a separate just Q&A video for you all. If you want questions answered, uh, send those to thetantalustales at gmail.com. Thank you so much, and we will see you again. Take care.